Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis, and today my guest is Tim Thompson, uh, formerly of Hockey Night in Canada, currently of CBC Sports, and uh, does a bunch of freelance work for the Toronto Maple Leafs, for other teams, uh, is heavily involved in music and, and doing documentaries for that industry. Uh, I'm having him on today to talk about uh, what is behind these incredible montages that he puts together. Uh, if you've seen uh, any any sort of preview for a playoff series or um, just something that, that really grips and, and grabs your attention when it comes to montages in the game of hockey, it was likely Tim that, that produced that. Um, and we also get into his, his time as a, as a junior hockey player, as a pro hockey player, his ties to Eric Lindros, um, we we, we kind of go all, in all different paths because I didn't want to prepare for this episode. Um, I wanted to come in with just a few facts about his life and, and see where it went. Um, and I thought it turned out well. So here's an hour with Tim Thompson, a very interesting guy uh, with a lot of connections to hockey, a lot of connections uh, to filmmaking and, and, and music. Here we go. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Here with Tim Thompson, also known as Boundless on Twitter, the man behind those fantastic Hockey Night in Canada montages of years past, and also, uh, you know, you might have seen his Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer montage. Um, The Leafs have a new video out that, that he's behind. He's a guy who likes to capture the spirit of the thing. Tim, what's going on? Hello, I'm doing well. Yeah, lots going on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're okay. So I wanted to have you on, especially at this point in the season, because it's when we get all warm and fuzzy about hockey, when we get nostalgic, and that's what you're good at. You're good at um, blending music, culture, and then the hockey, the stuff that's actually happening on the ice. We're halfway through the first round. The Leafs are in the playoffs, which we couldn't say, you know, in, in years past, except for last year. Um, and, and to be honest, I didn't really. I, I normally prepare a fair amount of uh, beforehand, but but this one, I just want to. I just want to learn about you um, in the moment. Uh, it, it's not out of laziness that I didn't prepare, but no, I just. No, no. I don't know much about you, and I've seen your work. A lot of people have seen your work. Um, if none of this is is really um, hitting home for for people, go, go on YouTube and type in Hockey Canada or sorry Hockey Night in Canada montage or. Um, you know, playoff montage, and it's probably Tim's work. Um, so yeah, let's talk about about your process. You know, filmmaking and, and how you end up, you know, being at this point in your career. Um, off the top, what what is your your favorite montage of all time that you've done? You know, you've worked at CBC. You're you're currently still at CBC, working on a lot of Olympic stuff and some other side projects. Let's start with your favorite. Yeah, that's a tricky one. There's been so many. Uh, I guess all things considered and all things being equal, I would say there's one called The Maple Leafs Forever um, that maybe hits the most, I think. Uh, it's a piece that I just made uh, three years ago now, I guess, on my own, and uh, ended up somehow has <laughs> been playing every night at the Arcana Center for three seasons now. And it's... Uh, I guess the reason is it kind of was a perfect storm of everything that I've been doing and kind of everything I hope to do. And it was a 
you know, a piece of music that means a lot to me. It's by a friend of mine, um, has nothing to do with sports or hockey, but somehow because of uh, the lyrical genius of Ron Hawkins is his name, a song called Peace and Quiet. Uh, it's a story about a friend of his who passed away, but also about his love of Kensington Market in Toronto. But it somehow perfectly tells the story of the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, being a Toronto guy myself and a big Leaf fan growing up um, through to this day. It was uh, just, um, yeah, something that has a little bit of magic in it for me, I think, that I've seen hundreds of times now and have updated it a few times for the Leafs uh, since it first aired. Um, and it's just, I don't know, there's something about it that just kind of gets people. Uh, and it's, uh, the hist- it's basically, I made it, it was, this would have been the fall of 2015, so things weren't going incredibly right. this well is, for the team. This is right... <laughs> Uh, after they drafted Austin Matthews? No, just it was just, before. No, the, yeah, no. So, yeah, so they would have drafted him in 15, uh, 16. Um, yeah, so the, I at the time I was just thinking, like, there was a real kind of a down point for the team in the summer. It hadn't been great. I, think, I guess they had just drafted Mitch Marner that year, but no one. Right, yes. The, the fanfare of that hadn't, obviously. And he went back to junior, so it wasn't like there was a savior on the way. Yeah. It was still, it so, was leading up to a season that was going to be pretty awful mm-hmm. and end up being pretty awful. They were last in the league. So that's sort of the scene, right? You're, you're, you're giving them this video while the team is, is starting to, to build up, but, yeah. but in a very slow way. For sure. And I guess that was the thing for me it was like it's easy to kick people when they're down um so the point of this was try to, to build some hope and where to do that was to go back to the ghosts and you hear you know through the hockey night years um and after that i'd done some work for the montreal canadians and there's always you know the ghosts of the form the ghosts of the habs and rightfully so like my gosh it's uh, rife with like you know all that wonderful beautiful stuff from years gone by and uh but I thought in Toronto, it's like, it's funny how there is such a great history and people allude to it, but it just didn't have the same kind of um, fanfare in some ways that uh, it does in Montreal. And I thought, well, wow, that's, you know, I just want to set out and do something. And at the time, I didn't have a piece of music or anything. And it was just, I had been let go the previous year from doing the hockey stuff. And I had kind of missed that throughout the summer. And it was the first sort of fall that I was heading into since I was probably you know five that I hadn't either had a team that I was going to play for I'd grown up playing in Toronto and played AAA and then junior and OHL and played university and then pro and so there's this thing and then I kind of dovetailed when I retired to that right into this crazy world so it was literally like the first you know fall I'd be going into where there was no hockey on the radar so to speak or no team or no job or anything waiting so I just kind of, you know, from the hockey night years, tons of footage on hard drives over the years that I'd kept and just sat down, you know, probably in September and just thought, I, you know, see what happens. What do I, what, what, what I have? And uh, sometimes that's the funny thing. The funniest things, they come out of midair. And this song by my friend Ron, who he had written, I had first heard it back in like 2006, so a long time before. He had released it on a record uh, back in 2007 and he had re-released it in 2014 on a on an updated sort of record that he uh, did like a sort of a reworked versions of older songs right, right and peace and quiet was on there and i was just you know i'd heard that song hundreds of times uh and it came on one day and it just sort of hit me in this way that it was like wow i'd been looking through all this old footage like back from the 40s and 50s and 60s and uh, old newsreels and old things like uh, Barilko and Turk Broda and all this stuff up through the 70s and 80s and 90s and um, just listening to the song it sort of was like this moment of like oh my holy shit <laughs> like here we go and uh, 
the, as I said earlier, the song about Kensington Market and a friend of his who passed away perfectly told the story of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, and that's, you know, the credit and kudos to Ron and his kind of lyrical genius. He's known as, you know, one of the country's greatest songwriters. And lyrically, he's uh, just so layered and textured that, you you know, a song, a great song can mean what it means to whoever listens to it, I think. And, and lyrically, it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, it hits and rises and falls and has all the things you need for a good piece like this. So not a static kind of a song. It just, and it's really heartfelt lyric and his voice is, you know, ridiculously good and uh yeah so i just started working away on this thing and maybe a week or so later i never told him i had a kind of a rough cut and i emailed him like hey i'm working on this thing i was a bit cryptic about it and like uh with song ears and uh yeah can i just send you this and uh, i sent him like uh, you know probably 80 percent of what it ended up being and he responded back like oh my god like wow that's amazing yeah do with it what you will and um so i ended up finishing it and maybe I think two days before the season started just posted it myself like just you know working on this thing here it is and and it kind of went bananas uh ridiculously um on Twitter and things like that and I had a message out of the blue from uh one of the Leafs coaches uh who said that he'd seen it and he forwarded on to Mike Babcock and to Brendan and they were really on fire about this uh Brendan being Brendan Brendan Shanahan Shanahan. yeah yeah and uh one thing led to another and like a couple of days later I was sitting in his office and he wanted to meet me and we ended up sitting there talking about music and film for like an hour and, and hockey and the past and I was really taken back by how much he cared about like every little thing that was going on there from the obviously the management and coaches and players but to the whole experience of people going into that arena to see a game and what they might be seeing on the screen and stuff and he was really you know he had obviously watched it a lot because he had pointed out things like oh I really love this part of it and this thing and that thing and uh yeah it was really cool and and so yeah it's it's played every night for three seasons now and i've updated it uh you know obviously they off drafted austin matthews the next year and then things started to really turn so that gave it a whole new kind of a meaning for the back end of the song uh and yeah and just every season kind of updating with what has gone on and it's just sort of taken on a new uh try not to weaken it at all and I don't think it has I think it's just kind of reinvented itself as the team has reinvented itself and yeah so maybe that's at this point if I had to choose one that would might be it but <laughs> yeah I've I've been at the Air Canada Center I don't know I go I go out to maybe a handful of games per year maybe 10 and it's always playing and it's it's just sort of part of the experience now and one thing that you know I immediately noticed about that piece is that you're not hiding the bad history um, whereas maybe if it's if it's developed by the PR team, or if it's some sort of you know marketing uh, uh, video that you're just putting out there as sort of a sh- sort of just to rally the troops, like it's 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 got the heartache, it's got the Stanley Cups, it's got the crazy owner Harold Ballard in it. Um, like you said, Austin Matthews, the the new the new kid on the block, and and a guy that that just is is the present, the future. Um, is that something that you strive for just to like tell like a truthful oh. story, not, not, you know, beat around the bush or sugarcoat it? hundred percent. That's, you know, I wouldn't do things if it wasn't. And that was one of the things that Brendan mentioned too. And I, that I love that he's like, I love that you put the warts in because you know, the fan base is too smart and people know everything. So if you try to sugarcoat it, then it's just going to be laughed off. And yeah, I guess that was something I really pride myself hopefully on is making something that's incredibly honest and truthful and doesn't hide anything. It's just, uh, um, yeah, here it is. This is the history of it. Um, this is what happened. So, well, you know. let's talk about your process in general. So, you're, whether it's Hockey Night in Canada 
or you're working for CBC on the Olympics, or you're doing a music video, whatever. Like, how does it start? What what what's what's step number one before um, you know you get into the meat and potatoes of it, and then eventually it's shown to the world? Sure. Yeah. I guess depending on what it is. Um, certainly in the hockey night days in the Olympics, you have a thing where there's you know seven o'clock or at nine o'clock, whatever the situation would be that this thing is going to air. So you have a defined time limit where it's okay. You have a structure to it. Like the Olympics that just happened, I think it did 17 music videos in 17 days and every day at noon they were going to launch because that was the time difference in South Korea and all that. So um, you only have, what are you working overnight probably? Right? Mm, yeah, I would, for that I would get up at 2 a.m., uh, and work till and then and then you file it at what like eleven oh, eleven a.m. Some went to like eleven fifty nine. Wow, <laughs> there was one that basically got you have to like finish it and export it to this um, ground zero essentially where they run everything off. Sure. And one day it was eleven. Uh, sorry, they ran it at eleven fifty five. So uh, sorry, eleven fifty eight. They were two minutes long and it would take right till noon. Uh, and one of them, I think, eleven fifty-seven and thirty seconds is when wow. they finally got it. So, it so I guess you don't have a, a guy, anyone that that sort of oversees you and says, you know, here's all your critiques. Go back and fix no. it. It's like they yeah, trust no. you enough to yeah, just yeah. put in the system for sure. That you know, yeah, absolutely. The hockey night and the Olympic stuff. Uh, it was just do your thing, and uh, yeah, which is lovely. It's a great freedom to have and a trust factor. I suppose that you're not gonna you know straight the wrong way or what have you and uh yeah it was just a very good challenge um and you know like that's your on those pieces that's the constraint is the time so you have to you want to hit the same level and the same bar every time so how do you do that every day or you know back to the hockey night days in the playoffs was every day or every other day every during the season it was once a week so there was this defined thing where at seven o'clock this thing is going to run um so that's the big challenge with those is okay okay so you have a game who's playing or the olympics were kind of a daily wrap-up or sometimes they were focused on a specific thing so you have your subject and then you go to work on just finding for me it's the right piece of music that usually dictates everything which is again a challenge because you can't just use anything you want you have to for those purposes license songs and that has to be done well in advance sometimes it takes an hour but sometimes it takes a month to, to clear a song um to be able to use on tv so so will you just when you you find a song that you feel like could have some great visuals with it you just mm. go ahead and, and purchase it and then you you have it in sort of your bank yeah like usually there's a licensed term so it's usually three months so i kind of keep a running tally all the time so i just had, okay for the olympics it was starting in february so we needed you know 17 songs that ended up and I ended up clearing about 53 I think in total because you just don't know what situation is going to pop and yeah. I've never you don't want to be stuck with one song and no like, I don't want to use this and I'm not the kind of guy that would be like oh well, let's just use that that day it's like no it has to mean everything it has to be perfect it has to be perfect exactly and so yeah you try to think of scenarios whether it was the Olympics or hockey of what could happen you know songs that would work you don't want it to all be the same so you want slower songs faster songs some that have mid-tempo um, you want to you know, focus on, I don't, I never focused on what was popular, the top 40 or anything. It was more, I don't care. I always used to say, I don't care if they play the Rivoli or the Sky Dome. It's like, you know, it has to be an honest song. And if it works, it's going to really work and I can do something with it. And I can't do something that doesn't translate. Uh, so that was kind of the, the guidelines for that. And it was just trying to keep, be patient enough to wait for the right song to present itself. And during the Olympics, sometimes I would walk, I was walking in at two, 
downtown Toronto with my headphones on, you know, thinking, okay, I got it down to these two or three songs, which one? And sometimes you get to work and it would just be like, hmm, not feeling it yet. And then you go through the subject matter of what happened in the events that day or that night while you were asleep because it was 14 hours ahead. So these were recapping the day before? Yeah, some of them were. Like it was a because of the Olympics, it's there's so much going on every yes. day that um, so it's basically trying to find us a, a thread that sunk okay. up each day. So sometimes you know Canada really amazing, or sometimes it was a really crappy day, or there was a lot of crashes, or you know whatever the day presented itself. So as usual, trying to capture the spirit of yeah, what's this, going on. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's the the best way to put it: trying to capture the spirit of that day or the heart of what was going on. So which is different than a playoff series or something like that. So yeah, it's just. Um, Knowing, you know, I always have songs going, playing, and thinking, and I walk around the city, I always say, I have these, like, kind of weird movies going on in my head, and, you know, you'll see a bird flying by, or people walking by, and you'll just think, make you think of a song or something like that, and um, so, yeah, I guess the process, first and foremost, is finding the right piece of music, and for a lot of my independent projects, there's the luxury of time, so it's, uh, I'm not constrained by a day or a week or something, so you can be more patient to wait for that idea to hit. Um, which is great, um, and you can really craft it and mine it and, you know, uh, edit yourself some more, and just sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. Uh, sometimes, you know, first thought, best thoughts, usually kind of the best. The more you think about things, the more maybe it gets a little more um, unclear or muddy. Uh, so, yeah, it's just finding that thing. Sometimes it's one lyric that might influence the rest of it. Sometimes it's one shot, like I've seen a look in somebody's eyes that, kind of a whole piece was based around um so yeah it's kind of that's the neat part it's always exciting and different and interesting and it's just keeps you searching for uh what it is that you can build this thing around of whatever it is that you're doing um so yeah it's interesting that you start with music because as much as that that seems like obviously a major component of what you're doing i i thought maybe it was like you know the highlights from from whatever the the subject is like like one one that I remember of, of what you've done is is for whom the bell tolls. I think it was like yeah. the 2013 14 playoffs. That was the last one I did. 14, yeah. yeah. So any yeah. yeah, and anyone listening, uh, your YouTube channel is uh, hockey. F- the URL is weird, but if you type hockey films by Tim Thompson or something, that comes. Out. <laughs> okay, I think that uh, like YouTube's pretty smart. I think people will yeah. find it. If you from, type hockey in my name, and then it, okay, yeah. hockey Tim Thompson on YouTube, you'll find what I'm talking about. For whom the bell tolls. There's a certain, um, like, uh, I don't know the, the proper term. I'm not, you know, um, up and down tempo. There's a certain, you know, there's there's punching, you know, notes. Um, there's something about For Whom the Bell Tolls where you're watching that and you're going, this is a completely different montage because of this song. If it was an, even another Metallica song, it would just be completely different. Um, so you come up with the song. And then from there, like, how, how do you exactly go from that to finding all these incredible images? Like, like you mentioned, sometimes it's just uh, someone's face, someone staring into the distance or with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a, a face that just reads intensity. Yeah. How, like, how do you find these clips other than are people, you know, going back and, and finding clips or are you in the, in the past, you know, compiling them? Yeah, it was basically me in a... In a- the archives at CBC, like that's really the only way to properly do it. I think at least for my work process anyway, it was just spending time going through everything and you remember things and you accumulate things and um, then you'd come across things sometimes. And there was a, 
the beauty of working at CBC is the archives is is my gosh it's uh there's a basement a lot of it's digitized now but you know back when I was doing it it was uh basically tapes in a, a room on the second level of the basement and uh, you just I go down there and just spend more time than I would ever care to admit just watching and a lot of the archives some of it was meticulously you know spelled out as cataloged like yeah, like, cataloged. like will it be like uh Heartbreak or jubilation? No, like, how is it? No, it was how, like how do you find these exact games, like, moments in like, time? There's there's a whole rack of like oh, okay. here's games from the 70s, 80s, 90s, blah blah blah. Sometimes there was melts. Sometimes melts are kind of like a condensed game in okay. like 40 minutes where it would, you know, every goal there'd be five or six all the yeah. whatever camera angles they had. Um, so you have basically an entire game melted down into 40 minutes or something. Um, sometimes there was old features. Sometimes old shows. Sometimes there was just things labeled with tape numbers on it and nothing to you know suggest what was inside and that's some of the my favorite stuff because you just kind of like what is this i found like an alternate angle of the bill barilical goal that i wonder had been sitting there for how long like it was a someone had put it on this tape a long time ago and it was someone that was his the final goal yeah the winning goal the the hip song yeah to mission cap yeah it was uh there's the classic angle that you always see and then i found this angle that um, suggested that it was someone with a like a movie camera in the stands. It just happened to wow. turn and capture this of the right way, and then then God bless them, like stood on it, and just so you see the celebration and the team spill out, and yeah, crazy stuff. And um, sometimes you would find things in intermissions, or they it wouldn't have the commercials, so the cameras would roam while the commercials were on. Uh, so you'd see you know things that. Weren't on the broadcast. so you're just sitting there nerding out on these oh yeah hundred percent on these old you know sixties seventies eighties clips totally yeah totally and there were specials like you know when the gardens closed and um, lots of features and stuff on that and shoot tapes people would go do features on whatever and there'd be you know it would end up as a three or four minute piece but they went and did a forty five minute interview or something so that all the stuff that hit the cutting room floor and some of it was just like oh my god like found like uh when i was doing stuff for the montreal canadians uh like newsreels from the rocket richard riots uh you know 45 minutes of like the mayhem going on outside and um shots of him walking into the arena that night standing watching the game and i had never seen some of it before so yeah that's uh it's one thing to like have a you know a catalog of what it is but it's quite another thing to see it and once you see it then you'll know like if that is going to work for what you're doing or it's not and that's you know again just spending time doing it and uh it's a lot of work and uh but yeah i love it so what what's your inspiration when you're whether it's olympics and you're doing sort of uh a recap or a look forward to the next day and it's very short turnover or it's leading up to the playoffs and you have a little more time to dig into things What's your inspiration? Like, what do you want to happen when people are watching that? Do you want them to have chills? Do you want them to cry? Do you want them to laugh? Like, yeah. is, it, is it all the above? All the above. Whatever it is. Uh, I always said, like, love it when, you know, people either want to. I've had a lot of messages over the years that suggested this, which is amazing. And it's like either, you know, run through a wall, climb a mountain, or ball their eyes out. And uh, um, if you can, I guess that's emotion and that's feeling and that's, getting to the heart of something and if you can affect someone that way then that's I guess the end goal um no matter what it is and and I think that's a hard thing to do now like there's so much I guess anytime but so this world now is there's so much white noise and there's so much stuff out there and people are so distracted and and so divided in their time and everything they do like if you 
to be able to get someone to sit and watch something for three, four, five minutes, like, um, it's kind of unheard of. It's, you know, people, everything seems to be, you know, skewed towards, oh, it's got to be short, 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 because people don't have attention spans. And I remember dropping, like, a seven-minute opening for the Rio Olympics at CBC and uh, thinking, oh, dear. Like, <laughs> How is this going to go And over? it went viral, and people loved it. And it's like, oh, my God, that feels like a minute and a half. Like, so I guess so. that's the thing. As long as it's – I always said, like, something should be as long as it should be. Um, and sometimes things should be 30 well, seconds, and sometimes things should be seven minutes. Just, so. just to hit on your point about, like, attention spans and everything, what I've been told – I do some video here uh, at The Sun, and it's like – you know, in the first 10 seconds, you have to grab people's attention. Otherwise, they're going to tune out. They're going to, you know, click away. Or, you know, if it's on Facebook, they're going to just get away. They're going to they're gonna move on to something else. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when, um, you know, it's Hockey Night in Canada or it's the Olympics or you're at the ACC, like, you're sitting down and you're you're okay with, with having five minutes of your time being taken up. And I think a part of that is just, you know, that's sort of when your fandom really comes out or... Or when uh, when you're okay with with it happening because the game's about to start or whatever. But um, also, I think it's an it's an ode to, to you and other filmmakers where you know it's so captivating having these these montages, these videos, these um, these tributes in a lot of ways to what these athletes are doing. I think that people really connect with it because, mm. um, like like let's talk about the Olympics for a second. A lot of these these athletes have gone through a lot in their personal lives they don't get paid like professionals like say in the nhl um the the they're they're against the entire world and and they get on the stage and they have this moment where they need to shine and sometimes that doesn't work out so well um but a lot of it is about those four years leading up to that that moment um and i just i just feel like that's that's the magic of of the olympics and and i know that you've captured that over the years and there's always those great uh uh, expressions on the podium, whether it's tears or whether it's, you know, um, jumping for joy. And I just, the Olympics is, is sort of like, um, ground zero or, or, or heaven for a guy like you, where it's like, mm-hmm. there's just such good footage and so many good stories that you can, that you can package together. And, and there's a lot of sort of blended themes of people just, they, they want to be the best in the world. And sometimes they don't do it. Sometimes they do it. And maybe they're in between, but at the end of the day, like, it's a culmination of all that work. Yeah, and it's I guess to sum that up, it's like a metaphor for life. Like sometimes things go really well, sometimes things don't go well at all. But you've you know the work ethic and the intent and the heart is there, and it's people you know that's on display for the world to see in uh, in HD. So it's you know the emotions are laid bare, um, and it's an you know you're opening your kind of your heart and your soul to the world, and that's a really you know, hard thing to do. And, um, you don't know what's going to happen. Like some days you wake up and things just don't go well. Um, the next day you could have landed all those jumps or skied the fastest or ran the fastest, but you know, on that particular day, it just didn't happen. And like, like think of Penny Oleksiak. She was 16, won all these medals. Like she could never do that again just because, and and it will have nothing to do with her training, her focus, her development as a swimmer. It's just on those days she killed it. And maybe at next Olympics, she you know gets two medals or she gets zero or she gets five like yeah. it, the olympics are crazy like that it's yeah it's it, it's a it's a weird beast and i guess it's anything where there's a spotlight and there's a thing that's happening there's uh, you know whether it's a concert or whether it's a 100 meter dash or it's the ice dancing free skate like the pressure to to hit at that specific time when there's all that build up and all that expectation and you know i look at 
what Tessa and Scott did at the Olympics this year. Like they came out of essentially retirement two years ago to do this thing and everything in their life was built towards that short skate and then the free skate, uh, what, eight minutes or so in total. Everything they did was laid out like from uh, Monday morning at eight o'clock until, you know, for two years was this is our life and we're doing everything is meticulously planned out to be able to end and win that gold medal and the pressure on them my god it was uh, i remember watching it when they came out for the free skate like my stomach was in my throat like it was like i can't imagine how they were feeling but it was just i I was on my couch and and and, you know monitoring on twitter and i'm um you know you're just sort of you're caught up in it and let's face it figure skating isn't on that level of hockey at all in this country uh but for those you know that 10 minutes or however long people were tuning in for the the um, for the Virtue and More show, it was it was captivating. It was everyone was was watching and going, "Don't fall!" You know, land your jumps, land your spins, and and people don't actually know what they're talking about, but they know what perfection looks yeah. like, and they're going, "This is working." And as it builds up, you're going, "They might win these this thing," and it's just isn't it crazy? It was now? a movie. It was a movie. Yeah. It was watching this thing unfold. That was just I've gotten to know them and done some pieces with them, and uh, they're amazing human beings um so maybe that took on a bit more of a personal thing for me because you know them and you're rooting for them and not just as fans but as people and human beings and and uh yeah and just the but the pressure and anyone who knows who performs whether it's music or sports or whatever it is is like to be able to be on at that time and to just have a thing that unfolds is exactly as you've seen it in your head over and over and again for two years is that's a really hard thing and for them to pull off what they did was like it was it was beautiful and it was magical and it was a uh, one of those moments that i think where were you kind of in olympic sports history and uh yeah it was uh, yeah it was a beautiful wonderful moment and uh um yeah just uh kind of speechless and uh got to do this tribute to them that on that we um aired shortly after they won and uh yeah it was lovely how it just kind of captured the spirit of uh the 20 years that they were together and that's the other thing they skated together for 20 years so like that's a long time i remember to... watching that and you're seeing you know them them interacting with each other when they're literally like 14 15 or 12 i don't remember exactly Six when and eight or what was it that young oh, yeah, i like guess the... they're they're only in their late 20s or it was probably eight and ten maybe wow would have been that's unbelievable some of that first footage and then yeah so you think of like when you're that age to when you're you know 28 and 30 you li- uh, they literally grew up together yeah and under all that pressure and that you know yeah just wow like uh, it's my hat's off and what a wonderful beautiful uh, thing to happen now i want to talk about your your playing career and then your connection to hockey in a minute but let, let's i know this is a hockey podcast so people might be annoyed that we're going down different paths here but i don't care it's interesting to me with 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 music um and and it's such a ma- as you as you noted uh, off the top it's such a massive part of what you do um who, who's been your favorite artist or artists to incorporate like wh- which bands really um set the tone or are uh, synonymous with with you know say sports clips or, or sports sports moments right um again that's a loaded question like i know i know yeah. the, the hip is obviously yeah. one that comes yeah, to mind that's probably if i said one. you've had the arkells uh yeah. featured in a few of your, your for sure videos. yeah did arkells back to like 2012 or so uh the hip obviously would have been the most utilized um for sure uh, whether hip stuff or chord solo uh, did several of those as well. That's the one probably closest 
to my heart. Um, but yeah, a lot of independent music, that was a big thing for me was, um, again, as I said, I don't, you know, I loved more than that tickled me the most was getting friends of mine or not people I didn't know, but just, um, people who maybe weren't known very well, uh, onto that platform. Um, I also think as a viewer, it's nice to hear something you never, you don't have an attachment to, like if it's a top 40 song, you go, Right. Oh, oh Justin, one. Justin yeah. Bieber, and you start thinking about Justin Bieber. But if it's a song you've never heard, then you're just yeah. you're focused on what's in front of you. Yeah, and that and that was my thing. It's I and I had to fight a lot of battles for that over the years because it certainly wasn't what was laid out or wanted. You know, they wanted short and they wanted chart stuff, and that was kind of the opposite of what I wanted to do. And I wasn't trying to be antagonistic or whatever, but it was just you know, if the song is an honest song and it works, then who cares who it's by? You know, if it really works and gets that emotion and that feeling then that's what should be what matters and so yeah there's all sorts of amazing things over the years getting to work with all sorts of great uh, musicians across this country um and elsewhere and but yeah first if i had to choose one it would certainly be the hip like that was you know they were the band for me when i was a you know growing up that hit you know and uh getting to know them after the fact um made it even more special um and yeah, just you know what that band meant to this, or means to this country. Excuse me, is uh, you know yeah. That, if I had to choose one, that was kind of and using songs too that you maybe wouldn't necessarily do like nautical disaster, <laughs> fully completely songs like that, but making it you know obviously uh, lyrically one of the greatest lyricists ever in music. <laughs> um, to use Gord's words for things that you know didn't have anything to do with again music or, or excuse me with hockey or sports but um because he was such a gifted uh, uh wordsmith a lyricist that you know the metaphors were easily translated and uh yeah so. yeah not a nautical disaster is a it, it's kind of a, a a wild ride when you're listening to it yeah and the lyrics i i just i can see that working out well with with some sort of have you done yeah that was uh yeah montreal boston there was a great montreal boston that was the last playoffs i did 2014 there was seven games and uh that was for game six um yeah it was uh been wanting to do it for a while and it just again the situation right hit the game five i guess was a one nothing kind of a uh, overtime game and it was a, quite a battle uh so it just took on that metaphor of this thing that happened and this idea of a dream or a nightmare depending on who you were um kind of unfolded at, at the bell center and uh um yeah and boston had won so gord was happy <laughs> yeah uh, gord down just fits in perfectly with what you're trying to do in terms of like he might have a couple songs that actually mention hockey so that helps you out and also you know he talks about canada and its roots and just things that are so canadian so that helps and then also um that voice i feel like mm-hmm. lends itself well to uh to your montages um have you just found over the years like not necessarily as a crutch but sort of like when you don't really know what to do it's like let's look at a hip song here maybe if i go through their uh their list of of tracks i can find something that that resonates yeah i I don't think i'd ever fall back on something like it all especially something that means so much to me like that it was always like you know as he used to say like uh their catalog for me is like it's in the wood like i you know is always kind of playing and i know you know intimately all those songs and uh um, so yeah, it was just like if the situation arose, then hell yeah, let's let's do this thing. And uh, um, yeah, something in obviously in that band and the songs were not ordinary; they're very unique songs. Yes, um, they don't follow just a straight path. Look, it's nautical, not linear. Nautical. There's no verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's this 
story that unfolds and the, it kind of makes you fall into this dream state in a way and uh that's a good way to put what's it. he talking about and people are like oh it's the sinking of the bismarck and there's no it's about a failed relationship and no it's about this or that and that's the beauty of like gifted lyricist is that it means whatever you think it might mean i think and for especially for him he was so you know cryptic and um layered in what he wrote um that you know maybe it wasn't a specific single thing it was about it was about a feeling in the end but it could take on you know whatever the listener uh felt while listening to it i guess is the best way to put it um, which is beautiful for someone like me doing you know anything visual on the screen or something because you can take it some pretty do some really you know great left turns so to speak and take it into some places that um or you can use metaphor and s symbolism a lot and you know this game of hockey is rife with that so it has all that drama built right into it so you just hope to tap into it and and elicit that feeling out of whatever it is the piece was about or what you're trying to do so um yeah yeah in general do you think that there's a replacement for the hip like in canada's culture as sort of the poets of and and it, and it relates to hockey and it relates to um culture and just uh, their place in canadian society like is there is there a band out there that you're going maybe they're the next ones i hear people allude to that kind of thing and it always kind of makes me nervous and makes me like why does there have to be a second you know why can't that just have been this beautiful thing that we got taken on for this ride for you know 30 years uh and to i don't know to put that on someone else i don't know like there's certainly you know i don't think we'll ever see anyone like him again uh what a unique incredibly diverse beautiful kind generous amazing human being he was um getting to know him again you know you end up meeting your heroes and you wonder what is it going to be like and you know he exceeded everything you could ever imagine just the how that happened you guys just met up for coffee or uh with mutual friends i ended up his brother mike had done a film with a guy named dave bedini um and they had a screening at the arts and letters club um which is a place on near young and dundas where the group of seven used to go drink and stuff and it's this neat little old victorian and they had a screening there and uh, um yeah and i thought oh i wonder if gord will be there tonight and he was and yeah we ended up meeting and uh drinking for a bit after and just uh this would have been about 14 years ago Six, no wow 2002 maybe 16 years ago now um yeah just uh so yeah just offhand like that and would see him over the years all over the place in toronto and uh then got to work with them um first on the hockey night stuff and uh then had the great honor of being asked to do uh, some stuff in the last couple of years. Got to do the opening for the Kingston concert that was on CBC, which is still a, kind of a, you know, wow. Like Does it give you chills just thinking yeah. about the fact that oh, you did that? And, yeah. 100%. It was like the only thing in that broadcast other than them playing. And uh, kind of this thing aired and then it dipped and they were in the hallway as they got ready to go on stage. And uh um, and then, yeah, I got asked to help out with the documentaries. So I got to do a trailer for that. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately and sadly, but what an honor, I was asked to do the Juno Awards tributes uh, that just went down in Vancouver. Um, so I got to work with his brother, Pat, and uh, on those. And that was heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Um, but, yeah, really, really beautiful. I stood in a closed rehearsal the day before with Pat and his brother Mike uh, and his managers watching Dallas Green and Sarah Harmer, Kevin Hearn do that tribute in an empty arena was uh, one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced in my life. I think it was, uh, 
you know, had a big group hug at the end of it because it was just, um, yeah. I feel like, I feel like that, like with the mm. Junos and, and it's celebrating Canadian music, like that must have been in a lot of ways, like a bit of a clo- closure on, on the music side of Gord. Like obviously they, they dealt with the personal side, but that was sort of like, you know, we're sending him off on this great stage of Canadian music yeah. and, and, and being in an empty theater and seeing the musicians that are, that are paying tribute you know, rehearse like that must have been sort of you're you're looking around going this is this is kind of surreal it was surreal very much so um you know standing next to them watching this go down and they rehearsed it three times and mike after said you know thankfully you <laughs> got to get through that today and then once the show hits tomorrow i'll be okay and certainly lots of tears and uh and then you know i had seen obviously the videos i'd done they went in behind uh countless times but seeing it live just hit me hard i i, I watched yeah. that this morning and the checkered board yeah, floor, yeah, yeah. It, it lined up well yeah, and, yeah. and i'm thinking i'm thinking since it's you know it's just a screen behind dallas green uh it's not you know it's not necessarily interconnected like it's all timing based i was like i was like tim must be so happy that that yeah up. well i they sent sarah and dallas had sent demos uh of the song so it was a kind of a you had a fighting chance of like hitting it but you never know live it could something yeah it's just a couple seconds off or yeah it could be and but yeah that kind of hit perfectly and uh yeah but just seeing it in there that night was there was there was sold out there was what sixteen thousand people there or something and just to see it go down live was a pretty heavy experience and yeah you know as dallas said it's really sad and unfortunate that we have to do this but we're all grateful that uh, and honored to be able to pay tribute and uh yeah heavy 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 stuff <laughs> that uh certainly won't leave me anytime soon no kidding um there's no real way to transition into your hockey career but let's do that um <laughs> so i'm on your hockey db page uh it says you're 44 it says you uh you're a left shot defenseman right uh, right shot yeah some of that's a bit oh, oh they got yeah. it wrong someone pointed me out to that page a bit ago <laughs> and yeah there's a f- whole bunch of years missing and a whole bunch of stats, really but okay whatever um what about six foot <laughs> two actually uh, 21 what so. about six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah six two that's right and uh the rest the teams are mostly right uh, okay so just, so in 91 92 you played for the Bramley Blues how was that <laughs> that that's what that was junior a or that was tier two junior I don't know what it's called now junior it had been called junior b and then it became tier two junior a I'd been drafted by out of midget the Niagara Falls Thunder in the OHL and I was at the time trying to go south get a scholarship oh okay uh, so that was always the battle like what do you do do you go to the ohl or do you where were where what schools were you considering uh a whole bunch i had had a lot of talk with notre dame uh, some correspondence with harvard even um some teams in michigan uh, boston there's so many down there that uh, you get letters and people talk and um so there was but yeah harvard was interesting uh that was pretty cool to get a a, you know you must have pretty good grades then yeah school was good yeah yeah i was i was uh enjoyed school and um yeah i ended up you know after the fact going and doing my degree in uh at the university of guelph but yeah i had hoped maybe that that would work and you know for some reason it hadn't um but in the meantime had been drafted by the niagara falls thunder um but didn't go because as soon as you go you're considered your eligibility yeah you lose your eligibility so at the time it's like you know if you're a superstar in the OHL and you know that the NHL is going to be a certainty or as much of a certainty as you could imagine, barring injury or whatever, then that might be your best route. But for the rest, it's, you know, 
depending on what you want out of life, you know, I thought school would be a great way to combine the two and, um, and, you know, take a shot at it after. And, uh, yeah, the stars didn't align for a scholarship. So, but before that I went to Bramble and played, they just had a huge turnover of uh, defensemen. They had five that had left the team the year before. So it ended up working great. Got double, triple shifted, went, ended up going to the finals that year, which is funny. Cause we played a team called Wexford coached by Stan Butler, who was a notorious, like, it was like a shop for you know sending guys to the U.S. on scholarships, and we ended up uh, playing them in the final, losing. But they sent I think nineteen guys to scholarship the next year, and none off our team. So a lot of it's you know maybe it's a political thing. I don't know, but they weren't you know. It's funny that no one yeah to get how, one out. what a yeah. coincidence right? yeah so <laughs> networking connections and stuff. So yeah no it didn't work out. So um, Niagara Falls. It, called it i guess they'd seen a bunch of games and they were short a defenseman and uh so yeah so i jumped there um what do you remember about your your time so you had two seasons with niagara falls and yeah that you know they they eventually left and now there's actually the the niagara ice dogs which is not actually right. the same franchise and blah 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 but uh, the thunder i remember actually growing up i grew up in grimsby so oh, i would cool. play yeah, in that yeah. rink yeah <laughs> i can't remember what it was called but the, the niagara falls rink. memorial arena yeah, yeah. and the, the boards were like weirdly placed where even if you were like 10 years old you could jump them and go on yeah, the ice. yeah like, it was uh, the level of it was really low that that's one thing i remember and i also remember uh the, the the glass um near the blue line was like so low and there was no netting like if you're if you're watching the game in like the <laughs> second row you're getting a puck in the face probably it, it was old school it reminded me of like what you might have seen in slap shot or yeah. something and uh just a barn people yeah that's the best way to put it i guess old and but a lot of character to it uh people i never had set foot in the boston garden but a lot of people said it reminded them of that the ice was very small like it was and i'm just small. remembering the the dressing rooms were like, yeah. like buried in the arena like you had to kind of go through i don't know i just remember it being like you walked through the zamboni entrance to get on the ice as opposed to like another entrance yeah, it was weird we had like the our you know dressing room that was always there so it never changed obviously so we had like a quick walk to but yeah the other one was through the Zamboni and yeah it was one of those character rings like you could hear every word of people screaming stuff at you and uh, for good or for bad it was a you know as a teenager it's you know pretty heavy stuff like I was coming out of Bramalee that actually drew well like we would get a thousand or so people to games but then on uh, getting to the OHL a whole different level and uh, you know playing against people that you know you'd seen on the global game of the week or whatever players that had been drafted like that was heavy stuff because that was what everyone was trying to do and um my memories of the rink before i'd ever set foot was i had grown up eric lindros had uh when they moved to toronto moved four blocks from where i grew up and we ended up going to the same high school we met because his walk to school was through uh, down my street and so we met that take the bus together or would you walk we walked we walked and then we ended up uh he was playing for the Young Nationals team that I was. He's a bit older than me, but he uh, and he always played a couple of years above his age level. So yeah. we never played on the same team, but we ended up uh, renting ice at North Toronto Arena uh, in the mornings, and his dad would put us through all these drills and stuff. So we'd get up at some ungodly hour and skate before school, then go over to school, and that was life at the time. And it was, uh, but my memory, you know, once he went to Oshawa, was seeing him play in that small rink and just destroying people, and just like seeing the boards rattle and just this thing, like this monster that was roaming the ice. And I remember just seeing them play there on a global 
game. Uh, they used to have a game every Saturday. You're talking about Global TV? Yeah. yeah. They used to do a, the Jim Taddy would go, so that was pretty heavy stuff at the time that they would go and interview. And uh, yeah, so that was my memory of that and then getting there. And then all of a sudden you're playing against all these, like Chris Pronger and all these people that went on to these, that had been drafted and went on to great careers. Was uh, Yeah, it was, it was interesting memories. I wasn't the greatest OHL player. I, didn't, I was a defensive defenseman, so the, never had a lot of points or anything. But certainly... Held my own for a couple of years, I think, and uh, it was uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting period of time. I guess you you know you get to live essentially a mini NHL life um, as a teenager, which is strange um, but cool. Like you go from town to town playing for all these people, and uh, with hopes and dreams of maybe getting drafted, and uh, um, you know whether you're a star or a fourth line or something that you know the intent and the heart that you put into it is the same. So you know it means incredible amount for someone that age and uh um yeah for me it didn't uh, lead to getting drafted and i went to school but uh yeah it was a interesting time period for sure i'm always fascinated by people who you know exit you know uh pursuing the dream of, of hockey and then go on and do something different you obviously did filmmaking um but then talking to them after and going you know you played with ethan morrow yeah. uh, former nhler Derek grant Greg DeVries. Um, Greg DeVries. Greg DeVries. He was my defense partner for Really? He was your yeah. defense partner. Yeah. Who, who was, awesome guy. Yeah, you he's... know, between Niagara Falls, um, Bramley, you went to the University of Guelph, um, and then you went on to play pro yeah. at, in New Mexico, of all yeah. places. Who, who was the yeah. one player that on your one of your teams that, that was just the best? Hmm. That's interesting. Niagara Falls, well, if I broke it team by team, I don't think anyone in Bramley ended up Making the NHL, not, not that I can remember. Uh, Niagara Falls, we had a Brandon Convery was at the time, he was the first round pick of the Leafs when I got there. So he had had a, quite a bit of fanfare, obviously, being a first round pick of the Leafs. So it was interesting to see him. Uh, things ended up, he had a bit of an NHL career, but got into a lot of concussion problems. And uh, I actually ran into him in Yorkville a couple of years ago at a sushi restaurant, and uh, he looks the same. But uh, yeah, I had a terrible time with concussions towards the end of his career. Um, was was battling that, but uh, um, I mean, Greg wow, DeVries had a Greg pretty DeVries good ended up Ethan Morrow had a pretty good career. Yeah, Ethan and Greg probably would. Have, I actually ended up seeing Ethan at a hip show at Massey Hall. Really, about 2012, I think. Um, you just bump into everyone weirdly, like in random <laughs> places in Toronto. And Greg, I would see from time to time. He probably had the most. He won a, the, the cup with Colorado, uh, so probably had the most successful career. Um, Manny Legacy was the goalie at the time, okay, okay. and he had just come off that world. I ended up, uh, I actually had played in Bramley the, before I went to Niagara Falls for a couple months at the start of the next season, and ended up going to Niagara Falls just after Christmas, which would have coincided with uh, the World Juniors where Manny was the the starting goalie and the star of the show. So, so I ended up going to Niagara Falls at this time where everywhere we went had this great celebration on the road for Manny and what he had accomplished in helping Canada win the World Juniors that year. So he, he ended up having a great NHL career. Um, so those guys probably, you know, maybe. But, I, again, growing up from, you know, the age of about 11 with Eric Lindros in Toronto, like, that was uh, – there was no one else that even came close to that. Did, so he, did you uh, do uh, Lindros – any sort of trip yeah, around I, his, his jersey retirement? I, I did one when he retired, uh, and then I did one, a bigger one that's online everywhere for the Hall of Fame when he got inducted to the Hall. 
Um, yeah, which was great. And it just played out his party uh, that he had, and I posted it online. And, uh, yeah, it was great to see that uh, finally happen. What, what was he like back then, like when he was a kid? What, like Same as he is now. Very quiet, kind of a shy guy, but just would give you the shirt off his back. Um, was know. he always, like when he was 11 and you guys were walking always. to school, was he huge? Yeah, or was he, he like sort of? He was tall, and then I think between grade nine and grade ten, over the summer, he grew like six inches and gained about forty pounds. And he ended up—I remember like he would fall down the stairs at school because he just couldn't deal with like <laughs> what had happened to his. I'm body. just picturing like this tumble of you know mass. Falling yeah, down. like he would. Uh, yeah, he got really like this this growth spurt over a couple months that was just like oh my god. <laughs> and he was always an incredible player, but that brought another side, you know dimension to what he was oh yeah it made him what he what he was right and yeah like funny like he would yeah like we'd walk home after school and uh you know you're in grade nine or whatever no one has any money or whatever so it's like ah i'm hungry and there was a mr sub right by north toronto collegiate where we went and we went in there i didn't have any money on me that day and he bought a sub he's like are you hungry i'm like yeah no not really and he's like yeah you are he's like you know remember that five bucks you that uh, I owe you, and I didn't. Know, I didn't owe him five bucks, but he was just that kind of guy that yeah. always kind of looked out for his friends. And you know, um, Jesus, he befriended our math teacher from high school, and we're all friends to this day. And you know, just he always had this sense of community and team about him, and uh, always has, and always still to this day um, does that. Uh, we were just at a thing last week to um, the midget double A championships are at this rink, North Toronto, and he was asked to speak, and they showed. Uh, the Hall of Fame video that I did, and uh, yeah, it was just always very giving and very generous with his time, and uh, um, yeah, just an amazing guy. Yeah, and it, was it tough from afar? Like, I don't know if you guys kept in touch over the years, but to see oh, him yeah. go through concussions, like now he's 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 speaking out and he's he's really involved with what they're doing at Western University, and Big you know, time. there's a lot of positive things that he's doing, but I mean, there's some dark days when you go through concussions. Yeah, and that was they were way ahead of the curve, like you know people are like oh your parents your parents but his dad was his agent so like when they said his parents it was actually his agent you know <laughs> um and maybe people can't that's a very that, that makes you super involved like you are right so everything like, to when the people to the were player. saying his parents were involved it's like well yes but it's his agent as well you know and that was you know something that was always weird because they you know who better to look out for you than your parents but they were ahead of the curve and like wanting second opinions and didn't no one really knows a ton about concussions and he's spearheading a lot of you know work that's going to hopefully lead to some more awareness but at the time it was like like what they were doing is commonplace now to get second opinions and to take a break and to make sure this thing heals up you know properly and uh so they faced a lot of criticism and flack for that but you know looking back on it like oh my gosh like if they hadn't um you see the state of some of these guys now that have gone through that and it's heartbreaking um but yeah, we kept in touch forever. When we were actually roommates for about a, just under a year, just before he played for the Leafs, um, when he moved back to Toronto uh, after New York, and uh, uh, yeah, but just uh, yeah, always stay in touch. And uh, he's got three kids now, so he doesn't do a whole. <laughs> he's uh, kind of you know up at a homebody five a.m. Yeah. and asleep by eight p.m. But uh, um, yeah, they just bought a new house across the street from this park with a nice rink in it, and. Uh, so he has kids kind of have the bug already. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see. What's one thing about Lindros that people maybe don't know? Oh, dear. What? Or is there something like he did? He played, like, he, Sorry, go ahead. People might He played the trumpet and he still plays to really? this day. Yeah. In, uh, in high school. Yeah. And there's a funny story in grade eight, I think it was, where 
he had a band practice for school and he had a hockey practice and he went to the band teacher and said uh mr manning uh you know i have this hockey thing that i can't get out of i'm gonna have to miss band practice tomorrow and this teacher said to him well eric you're gonna have to make a choice in your life do you want to play hockey or do you want to play the trumpet (laughs) (laughs) right now you need to figure it out yeah so that's great um, but yeah yeah, no avid trumpeter is that what you say trumpeter trumpet trumpet player trumpeter yeah i suppose (laughs) so but uh yeah no interesting yeah amazing guy though just a really sweet uh kind human being that's the kind of tidbit i was looking for um so (laughs) to to get back to your hockey career so you end up going to the university of guelph um you play with uh james boyd who's now who's now uh running the ottawa 67s 67s, was for a long time the uh the gm of the mississauga steelheads yep um sure was anyone else or anything else about your time in guelph that sticks out? guelph was awesome that was uh you only played for two years. Four, no, four years. That's that was oh, part, that's what's that was missing. Part okay. of the hockey DB erroneous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm sure the view count on that page is about <laughs> six, maybe five of those would be my family. Um, it was lovely. It was a uh, geez. We got uh, out of the four years. We went to the final university final game twice. My first year we did, uh, and those were storied times because that, back then. The finals was always in Toronto, so you would play the semifinal at Varsity Arena, and the final was at the Gardens. And I played there a few times as a kid, uh, and obviously being growing up, you know, ten minutes north of there, that was heavy, heavy stuff. But to go back as like a, you know, not a minor hockey player, like being able to appreciate, yeah, it, like it I feels like the stakes are high. Played in the OHL, and our team was basically a glorified OHL team that you know players that didn't go on to career some. Th- that's what it still is, right? CIS yeah, is pretty good. For sure. Hockey. Oh, it's wonderful. Like it was. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys have been drafted. Tim Spitzik had been drafted by Detroit and actually had signed. Brian Thompson um, had gone to camps and done all sorts of things. Um, Joe Van Volsen, um, Matt Mullen was our goal, goalie. At, um, but, yeah, the first year was, like, ended up playing at the Gardens. And I remember, like, we got there three hours before and just sitting in the golds behind. We had the visitor's dressing room, so we'd come up through the Zamboni. Uh, entrance but just sitting in the golds and looking around and just all these times you had been there and seen games and this would have been 95 so that's a so couple the, of years before they closed the place yeah so right and right after those magical runs of yes you know, i got to go see a bunch of those games so yeah heavy heavy stuff and and we ended up losing that game uh and then the next two years sorry the next year we didn't make it but the third year we got back and uh we ended up winning uh that whole thing and it was a well, one of those nights you still remember vividly about everything and it as it turned out they moved the uh it was the ciau cis or u sports yeah it's, it's u sports now, now yeah um but at the time that was the last year that they had it in toronto and then they started roaming the country so um we were and then the gardens closed this would have been 97 the gardens closed down shortly after that so we were the last team to carry a trophy very cool that ice which is uh yeah, pretty magical and like a wonderful memory. When are you doing the montage of that? Yeah, the, the I did one actually. We had like a we had a bit of a thing a couple of years ago, like a reunion. Yeah, reunion uh, night in Guelph. It's hard to get everyone together because yeah, people aren't. But most of the guys were there, maybe ninety percent. And I uh, put this little thing together, and it was yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, but yeah, that was pretty awesome. It was a great time. Like Guelph's a wonderful city, and uh, our team was great. Coach was great. Coaches were great. Excuse me. Um, just a great bunch of guys that uh, all had this common thing. There's no money involved, and you're just doing it for the love of it, and uh, but putting everything you had into it. And it was our kind of Stanley Cup for a lot of guys. Winning that championship was, uh, you know, that's where the 
you know, that's where everything kind of led and you remembered back to all those things and having your family at the gardens and seeing everyone was, yeah, pretty amazing stuff. And we had the endless party at Guelph. I remember like driving around the campus had all 20 guys on the Zamboni as we <laughs> <laughs> various states of uh, sobriety. Uh, that's awesome. Just doing, yeah, lots of nice memories. And you see those guys and it's that thing where you just pick up where you left it. Even if it's been five or 10 years, it's like you just see and remember that and relive all these old things. And yeah, it was really, a really nice time. A lot of memories. And then it, your career doesn't stop there. You go to New Mexico to play yeah. in the Western Professional Hockey League, which I had to Google I saw that it was SPHL. I assumed it was Western Professional, but I had to make sure because right. this league was only around for five years. Yeah, you got in there, and, and you were up, nice and south in they New Mexico. Up, a bunch of teams fold, and they ended up merging with the East Coast League, so there's still some teams that exist uh, in different leagues. But, yeah, which was, you know, I finished school. I graduated. I had a history and a philosophy degree and uh, got through playing and was just like I just wanted to give it a shot and see what might happen. And, uh so you do I go to Europe, do you go here, go there? And I ended up, what it doesn't say there is <laughs> I, I first signed with a team called the Tupelo T-Rex Oh, in Tupelo, Mississippi. Like Tyrannosaurus yeah. Rex, that's, that's a great name. It was insane. Uh, in Mississippi. Tupelo, Mississippi. Which, I feel like New Mexico is higher up on the... New Mexico had had a hockey team since the 70s. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Mississippi yeah. just seems like they couldn't care less about hockey. From what I understand, like... I think Brian Glennie might have played in Albuquerque back in the 70s. Like it was a farm team for the Leafs to some degree at the time back then. Uh, the Albuquerque Six Guns, I believe they were called, and they had like Yosem- a character that looked like Yosemite Sam on the front of the jersey. <laughs> Shoot, I'm not even joking. That's they wouldn't allow that now. But, no, yeah. no. Um, well, maybe they would. <laughs> but uh, I ended up signing in Tupelo and went down with a friend from Guelph, a teammate, and uh, – Tupelo is a very small town in Mississippi that's basically known it's a birthplace of Elvis Presley. Um, so his home, which is basically two rooms that he was born and grew up in, is a museum. And they had here's the hardware store where he bought his first guitar. And but uh, they had never had hockey before, and they converted their convention center into an arena. Someone had a lot of money and spent a lot and uh, put ice in for the first time. And I remember we had an open practice to the public, and it was a bit demeaning in a way. Uh, the coach had, a, like, a microphone over the loudspeaker, over the PA system, and uh, was like, and this is how you skate forwards, and this is how oh, you skate no. backwards. And it was a bit, yeah, bizarre. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened to there. But, yeah, weirdly, after two exhibition games, they had run into incredible amount of financial trouble, so they were – basically getting rid of people so i got traded to albuquerque uh after two exhibition games which is <laughs> uh story career yeah weird and then gary unger was the head coach of Albu- of the, it was the new mexico scorpions uh famous leaf from the past in a way the original iron man uh bizarre human being really interesting but well, like, uh, when you're at that far down the, the pro ranks like everyone's sort of like has a story, right? Like you, totally. you had your own path and every single guy in the dressing room and the coach probably more than anyone because, you know, he's bouncing around in all these different leagues himself. Yeah. They all have a story, they oh, all have yeah. history and everyone's just sort of surviving and, you know, so, you, the winning is important but also like just uh, trying to find the, the bright side of things when you're making very little money and well, uh, just when you're that far down, it seems ex- like just such an adventure. It's his experience for the first time. It's like, oh, this teammate of yours is 35 and has kids and this is what he does. And, and that was a bit of an eye opener for me. It made me get out after a year, essentially when I was 23 at the time, you know, you're not, 
<laughs> if you're not drafted by then, it's an uphill battle. And I just didn't, you know, at the time, making 550 US a week was cool out of school. And they pay, for, they give you an apartment and stuff, and you get to travel. It was weird. It was all through Texas and Louisiana and Arkansas and, uh, and Mississippi. And uh, so you're going to these like rodeo barns, essentially, that had been converted. Um, and, you know, people like the goals and the hits and the fights. And uh, But again, there's like, guys I grew up watching in the NHL that were playing most a lot of fighters who didn't want to fight anymore just and you know who all had a great degree of skill but like I remember Craig Cox who had these epic bouts with Bob Probert as a kid watching those and he was playing on one of the teams and Paul Lawless who played with Toronto for a bit Brian Curran who was a defenseman in Toronto for a while and all of a sudden you're like staring down the ice against them and it was pretty that was pretty kind of cool uh, to do that, um, but you realize quickly how far you are away from the NHL and Gary. Like you sort of look at your surroundings and you're like, "This is fun, but I'm, I'm yeah. ready to move on." Sort of. Uh, yeah, like I wish maybe I'd kept a bit more of a journal or something like that because you would every night there was something you would see, and it was. I often say it was like slap shot meets spinal tap because there was something <laughs> every day that would be like, "There's no way I just saw that or that just happened or." You know, just out of the on and off the. You ice. know, on just the these, on the bus or in the hotel rooms and. Yeah, I remember one night like in Albuquerque, the ownership had kind of defaulted a bit, and obviously it's not hockey heartland, so getting equipment fixed or new stuff was a bit of a chore, and they had defaulted with a bunch of their payments, so there were guys down to like their last stick. Oh man, the skate laces had broken. You're like ham fisting trying to make <laughs> them better, and I remember one night the ice had. It was, you know, quite warm there at times, and the refrigeration system had kind of screwed up a bit, and there was a hole in the ice down to the cement behind the net oh, in the no. corner. So we were playing a game that night, and they didn't call it off, and they ended up, we put a, <laughs> I'm not even kidding, in a professional hockey game, a pylon on top of this thing and had a basically a gentleman's agreement that no one would hit anyone around there. Wow. <laughs> so, like, all sorts of weird, crazy things. But it was cool, like, you know. But after a year, it was like, okay, let's move on with life. And, and then and then you get into filmmaking. Like, how do you go from a philosophy degree? And what did you say, history as well? From yeah, that, history, history. Were, were you always interested in film? Or was this was yeah, film, like, like, your next frontier? Or? I've always, yeah, I always enjoyed it. Always, music was a huge thing in my life growing up. Very. Do you, do you play an instrument? Or? I don't. I played, much like Eric, no. I played saxophone for three years. Saxophone and trumpet. trumpet. I can see I this. I played really bad guitar for a couple of years. But uh, but did mostly just loved listening. Grew up in a very musical orient. Not so much playing. My brother was a is an amazing drummer and he played in a rock band in high school which was really cool for me I was kind of the unofficial roadie um, but for the most part mostly in a musical appreciation like always mixtapes were a huge thing um, concerts my parents took us to concerts all the time and first show I ever saw was the Jackson 5 reunion tour at Exhibition Stadium um, but Leonard Cohen was a staple Gordon Lightfoot uh, Beatles Elvis obviously my dad has like the biggest Elvis collection I think probably uh, vinyl and did stuff he ever like visit that. you at the no I was only Elvis, there for, uh, I was only I there for so. two yeah, games yeah. which is they had certainly had plans to and I think maybe uh, for sure that would have happened but uh, but yeah he was a huge Elvis fan and uh, but yeah I always just devoured music and um, that turned into a lifelong love for me and uh, finding my own bands and stuff and leading to the hip and and becoming friends with a lot of musicians in Canada um Music was always a big thing, and uh, but yeah, I didn't really know what to do. Like most people, when they finish doing something that they've done their whole life, like what do you do? Like how do you replace that hole in your life? You know that is now a hole. That thing that was a huge, like basically your existence. Um, so that was really hard, and that's where a lot of people get in trouble. I think is trying to find something that's, 
you know, can fill that uh, gap and give you that meaning. And uh, um, it was strange. I don't know. Like, I remember sitting watching a, a thing on TIFF when I got home and I just thinking, hmm. The film festival? Yeah, yeah. There was a, Roger, like the Cable 10 channel used to have, they'd hold press conferences. And I remember watching this thing one day. I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And documentaries, which kind of got me into it. Uh, when I thought about it, it's like it's not that much different than like if you're writing a history thesis or something. Like you're finding a story. Like what am I gonna? What's the spin or what? What am I trying to do? What's here? the angle? Then you go yeah. do research on as much as you can, get all this stuff, and then funnel it into what is this storyline. So weirdly, and ended up what I'm doing now is basically that, but with a visual and a musical component. Yeah, to it. I hadn't made the connection, but I guess your history degree kind of relates to what you're doing. Yeah, like at, least, at least your interest in history, you for can sure. definitely see it in your, your for sure. Degrees. And that, yeah, that's what got me going on that. Is just like, I love like reading about the past and about stories and all like things that are known, but things that aren't known. And uh, I always I took a lot of Canadian history, and I always got bummed when people would say, "What a boring country we live in." It's like, no, like just go find it. It's all there. Like it's just maybe what the standard books teach you isn't there but there's the characters and the events and things that went on there's so much it's not a long history but there's a lot of fascinating stuff a lot of horrible stuff a lot of great stuff um but yeah there's a lot of meat there and uh but yeah certainly and then mixing the idea of the game and uh and music and history and telling stories is just kind of yeah it was it was an maybe looking back a bit inevitable uh that maybe this is where it would go my mom always says like i didn't we didn't see this coming like it was uh and then just out of nowhere trying to find what am I going to do. And, uh, yeah, I just got a job in a newsroom. Uh, I didn't really know anything about Where, it. Which one? Uh, it was uh, CTV at the time. Okay. It was a sports. And I didn't know anything like about it. Like were you just cutting clips and yeah, doing kind like, of grunt work? Or? Yeah, like yeah. writing scripts and doing highlights. And But I didn't know anything about TV, but I knew a lot about hockey. Uh, and they had hired. Um, so I yeah, kind of just jumped into that and taught myself as much as I could. And then they had hired Craig Simpson who at the time wasn't coaching or... Now with Hockey on Canada? Yeah, yeah, at the time he was in between coaching and doing TV stuff and they had hired him to be an analyst for the playoffs and they didn't really have anyone that could talk his talk and I was right out of pro hockey so they're like, boom. And so I ended up being his kind of right-hand guy for that. Interesting. And then Pierre Maguire had just been hired by TSN uh, so when that season ended they had started this new show with him and Darren Detition called That's Hockey 2. Uh... And so they brought me over. I got kind of head not really headhunted, but maybe to go and be Pierre's um, right hand guy. So I did the same thing for him for a year, and then when you say right hand guy, like you're in his ear, you're his producer. Or? Yeah, like we would watch games and then break, oh, okay. break them down. Sometimes he would like, can you find me four instances of this or for yeah, basically, you know. I wasn't a TV guy, but I knew everything about the game, so yeah. I could watch and find what, exactly what he was talking for. So yeah, it was pretty fascinating getting that one playoffs, sat in a boardroom with him and Bob McKenzie and Gord Miller, and just uh, yeah, watch games and dissected them. And that really taught me a lot really quickly on the technical side of things, um, which is stuff you can learn. But uh, And then I um, always wanted to do documentaries and things like that. Music was a big thing. I knew I wanted to draw that into it. And the next season, the NHL Network had launched in Toronto, and they had a little bit of money and a lot of airtime. <laughs> uh, so I got to go work on a show there, which Pierre had gone over to with uh, Jay Onright. Was, uh, I had no idea you had a connection to Pierre McGuire. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while, but yeah, for sure. And this show launched, and Jay Onright was one of the first hosts. And they had a, everyone from Mike Keenan to Pierre to all sorts of ex players and coaches come in to be analysts and uh but yeah they had some money and they had some airtime so i got to do some documentaries and i did one on the nhl draft called three days in june where it followed uh, kevin lowe um 
Don Meehan and uh, drafted player at the time who was Dan Paye, who got drafted by Buffalo in the first round and put this little thing. From well in Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Put this thing together. And the next season did one on Dave Bedini and the Rio Statics. He had just written a book called The Tropic of Hockey and did this kind of 15 minutes short on this connection between hockey and music and uh, did another doc that summer on the off-season training habits of players. It was following Gary Roberts, Aaron Downey, who trained like Rocky Four style on the farm and, <laughs> and Eric Lindros uh, did that. Um, and that caught the eye of Rob McLean and Don Cherry. And weirdly, one night I was at the Madison, which is a bar in Toronto in yep. the annex, and yep. ran into this guy named Shirelli Najak, who was at the time the senior producer at Hockey in Canada. And we got to talking and uh, he found out that I did this um, off-season training doc called Three uh, Guys in a Goal. And he's like, oh, my God, Ron and Don love that. And anyway, we kind of bonded and kept in touch. And uh, yeah, a couple years later, he called and said, would you like to come work at Hockey Night? And, uh, yeah, so it was kind of a – everything was kind of serendipitous and organic, and it just kind of led to this thing. And uh, that's kind of where the music stuff Well, when off. is someone going to do a montage on your life? That's <laughs> my question. Yeah, there's not much footage. And, and, you know, I should have talked to Pierre Maguire instead of going to Hockey DB to get your history because he probably knows more than Hockey probably, DB. Probably, yeah. He might have some unflattering thing. things to say. But, uh, <laughs> no, he was – yeah, he was interesting. He was a very energy-filled guy and uh, – Obviously. Did he ever drop some some random knowledge uh, in your presence? Lots of times. He used to like <laughs> come meet me at the morning skate, and we go down to their Canada Center and like watch the morning skates all the time. And I actually house sitted in his house one summer. Yeah, they had a house in the beaches here in Toronto, and uh, uh, lived there for a few months while they had gone home to Tremblant, uh, Mount Tremblant. And uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen him for a long time, but uh, yeah, that no, was interesting. It was a good crash course in how to technically learn to do this kind of stuff and at the same time i just kind of taught myself i bought a imac at the time and a final cut editing system and just taught myself how to edit and just kind of pieced away on my own and uh i had met some people through dave bedini actually that was this portal i ended up playing in this um, musicians hockey league in toronto um, which was full of independent musicians from all sorts of things so yeah just got to meet all these people and kind of immersed myself in the independent music world and uh and then that led to the Hockey Night stuff and then, you know, serendipitously getting, working with a lot of their music and getting them on the air. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. Ended up doing a documentary on musicians in Toronto, a uh, feature-length one. And, yeah, it's been uh, kind of this thing where it's just, you know, finding projects that interest me and uh, having this rock of CBC and, um, you know, as a baseline. And then, but getting to do all these other projects has been awesome and fascinating. And, uh, yeah. Hey, we're uh, Hockey fans, Canadians, we're all happy that that you went down that path after hockey. That um, you know, uh, you've produced a lot of incredible work, and and it was a pleasure to talk to you. I think I've picked your brain long enough. I think <laughs> you have things to do today. Um, thanks, Tim. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. and if people want to check out your stuff, just one last uh, plug. Yeah, there's uh, if YouTube, if you type just Tim Thompson and hockey or Vimeo, there's a page, uh, and then TimThompsonFilms.com is kind of where I've curated a bunch of stuff and put it there that's some of the hockey and then some of the not hockey stuff and uh olympics and some of the other side projects that i'm up to and uh yeah there's always something cool going on so it's been uh yeah, an interesting road and uh um, yeah hopefully it just continues but yeah just kind of following this path of uh, making things that interest me and that hopefully people get something out of and make them feel something and uh yeah we'll see how it goes thanks again tim my pleasure thank you 